Good morning. Good to see everybody that's present this morning. I want to pull up this first slide for the title of our lesson this morning. His stamp is on your life. And there's a reason why those uh, three scriptures are there. And we'll you see how that fits in as we go along this morning. Genesis chapter 1, God created. Romans chapter 3, man sinned. John 10, Jesus tells us why he came so that we might have life. And so we'll kind of tie all those together. Jesus' followers, the book of Acts, are to carry his message to the whole world. And his life and his story had changed the story of their lives. And his life and his story can change the story of our lives. So there's three points that I want us to give consideration to today. That's the human story, and then Jesus' story, and then his stamp on our story. We have been studying the book of Acts, and in Acts chapter 1, Jesus gives kind of an outline for the entire book in verse 8 when he says, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the utmost parts of the world. And that's the way it goes. But as you take a look at that, and we stop and think about what Jesus is telling them on that particular occasion, what he is saying essentially is this. I want you to go tell my story. I want you to go tell about my life. Because his life, his story had changed their lives and their story. And now he says, I want you to go tell the rest of the world because my life and my story can change their story. So we'll think about that. We'll think about the human story, Jesus' story, and then we'll think about his stamp on our lives. Before we jump right into this, though, I want you to just stop and think for just a moment. Apostle Peter is the primary or the kind of leading character in the first part of the book of Acts. Think about his life for just a moment. There he was, just average guy, small boy that would have been born in northern Israel, area known as Galilee. He grew up in that area. He learned how to become a fisherman, and he had worked as a fisherman for a good part of his life, and then he met Jesus. That changed his life. Now, if you were going to just write the story of the Apostle Peter before he became the Apostle, you're going to write Peter's life. Small boy born in northern Israel, Galilee, learns his father's trade, becomes a fisherman, and he fishes his whole life. But he meets a character by the name of Jesus. He's no longer a fisherman. That changed his life. Now we got to write the story differently. I just want you to think about that as we jump into that this morning. Genesis chapter 1 and verses 26 through 28 is where it records that man and woman were created in God's image. And the story of creation, as you read it there in Genesis 1, It tells us about each day and what God created on each day. It also tells us that as God was creating and he would look upon what he had created, he would say, and it was good. And then he comes to the sixth day and he says, it was very good. He had created man and woman. Creation was now complete. It was as God intended for it to be. 
And he says, and it is very good. So we stop and think about that. A good God has a good creation and man and woman are created in His image. And in verses 26 through 28, it says He blessed them and told them to multiply and to fill the earth. A good God, a good creation, Man and woman created in His image. They are good. And God says, I want you to multiply and fill the earth. I want my goodness to go everywhere. But then, sin enters in. And the image is changed. And Romans 3 and verse 23 gives the explanation. So Genesis 1 and verse 26 through 28 is sort of a brief explanation of creation. And then Romans 3 and verse 23 is a brief explanation of what has happened. Paul says, for we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In other words, that's the reason why the world today is the way that it is. And that's the reason why that we oftentimes struggle with life. And we struggle with the way that the world is now. Sin changed lives. See what I'm saying? Sin changed the story. And sin has pretty much had dominance ever since. And so what we see unfolding on the pages of Scripture is God wanting to redeem His creation. And he wants to restore. We want to have good life. We want to have long life. But we just can't get it on our own. But stay with me. We chase it, don't we? We chase it. I want to give you this illustration as we begin this morning. Now, I know some of you have heard of a fellow by the name of Tim Tebow, right? My wife tells me I use way too many sports illustrations, but she's not here, so I can use it. (laughs) Tim Tebow won a national championship with the University of Florida, became a professional football player, was a quarterback, albeit not that great a one. And he's no longer in the NFL, but he became very well known. He's a celebrity and he's an athlete. He was a professional athlete. And one of the things that he was most well known for was the way in in which he would display his Christianity before the whole world. Oftentimes along the sideline or oftentimes in the end zone, you would see Tim Tebow down and he would be kneeling. He would be praying, thanking God for whatever he had been blessed with. A lot of people took notice of that. He gained a lot of attention. New York Times decided to write about it. So this one writer said this. He said, Tebow's religion doesn't just promise a path to personal transformation. It claims that every human life is actually a story with an author. And a genuinely Christian life should make that divine 
authorship manifest. That life should reflect its author. Who is the original author? That's God. Can you imagine the New York Times writing that? But they did. And that article is just confirming what the Bible stated from the very beginning. Genesis 1, 26-28. God created man and woman in His image. He's writing the story. This is the way He intended for it to be. But then something happened. Sin entered in. That changed the story. And then we come to the New Testament. We come to the book of Acts. And then we see what's contained in the book of Acts. And we see the story of the resurrected Christ. And how his story, his life had intersected theirs. And how that changed their lives. How it changed their story. And what that's letting us know is. His story can intersect with ours. And it can change our lives. And it can help write our story. What scripture is telling us is. God's saying, I want to help you write your story. And if you allow Him to help you write the story of your life, you'll be amazed at how it turns out. And if you're interested in how it might turn out, if God helps you write the story for the rest of your life, if you want a glimpse into how it will turn out, read Revelation 21 and 22. I think you'll like the outcome. Because that's the end. And that's where it leads to. When you let God help you write your story. Now I want to tell you something about a story. A well-known, this is a more modern day author. He was explaining writing. And what he said was this. In order to have a story, you have to have a character... And that character's got to have a desire. He wants something. And then you've also got to have a challenge or an obstacle. Got to have a character, got to have a desire, got to have a challenge, an obstacle before he can reach his goal. That's a good story. Example was given. Well-known story, Romeo and Juliet. Two young people who are in love. They desire to be together. Characters desire. But what's standing in the way? They have feuding families. (laughs) The standing in the way of them achieving their goal. I'm going to give you another sports illustration. More modern day movie. Do you remember Rudy? (laughs) Rudy was a young guy that desperately wanted to play football for the University of Notre Dame. Character, Rudy. Desire, play for the University of Notre Dame. Obstacle, Rudy's not very big. <laughs> and, I don't want to be critical, but he's also challenged as far as his grades are concerned. So if he's ever going to play for the University of Notre Dame, those are the things that he has to overcome. I don't want to spoil it for you, but Rudy gets to play for Notre Dame. <laughs> he has to overcome those things in order to achieve that goal. 
So now let me ask you a question. What's your story? What do you want? And what's in the way of you having what you want? Well, this is where the human story kind of comes in. Because there's some things that we share in common. Now, generally speaking, living in this country, whenever we say, well, what do you want? People will answer and they'll say, well, you know, it's the American dream, right? I want the American dream. I want a career. I want a family. I want my own home. I want financial security. Well, what's standing in the way of you having that? Well, sometimes we think, well, there, there's lots of things to get some people's way. Sometimes it's health. Sometimes there's health issues. And that will keep them from being able to achieve their goal. Or the economy goes bad. And I can't find a job or the job that I'm finding is just a low-paying job. And so I'm never going to achieve my goals because this is the obstacle. This is what's standing in the way. Or maybe it's prejudice. In society, that's what's in the way. Or maybe, maybe it's family dysfunction. I can't be successfully successful outside the home because I got such issues going on inside the home. Or maybe it's just bad habits. You know, if you want to have a job and keep a job, you got to get up in the morning and go to work. <laughs> Some people have bad habits; they don't want to do that. Sometimes it can be addiction. And I'm certainly not being critical. I'm just saying, think about things that get in people's way. Sometimes bad people get in the way. But we think about all kinds of things that keep us from achieving what we want. But you know what the Bible says about that? The Bible says there's just two things that get in our way. Two things. You know what they are? Sin and death. That's what gets in the way. And whenever we think about sin, oftentimes we kind of want to give that definition to it from 1 John 3. Sin is a violation. Sin is a transgression of God's law. We say it's the missing of the mark. It's the falling short. And that's true. But to put it in a more practical kind of application that I think that we can relate to, you know what it is? It's ignoring the author of life. That's what man has done. He's the author of life and he was going to write the story. And man decided, I'll write my own story. See, that's actually what we find in the early pages of the book of Genesis with Adam and Eve. They were in the garden. They had access to the tree of life. But God says, do not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For the day that you do, you shall surely die. You will be separated. And along comes Satan and he tempts Eve and then Adam follows after her. And you know what Satan said? The day that you eat of that tree, you will be like God. 
and you will know good and evil. You don't need him to write this story. You can write this story yourself. And so they give in to that temptation. And they decide, we don't need God. We'll write the story ourselves. And that's what man's been doing ever since. But see, the problem with that is this. There's an all-knowing God that wants to write the story. And then there's me. Not all-knowing. But when I start to write the story, you know what I do? I put myself right in the center of the universe. It all revolves around me. But as someone once said, if you are at the center of your own universe, your universe is way too small. Because when we put ourselves at the center, we think about self, and then we quit thinking about others. And whenever we don't get what we want, we want to blame somebody else. And if we still don't get it, you know what we do? We hold grudges. And even if they say they're sorry and we think it's their fault, we don't want to extend forgiveness. And in relationships, we'll settle for lust over intimacy and actually developing a real relationship. We oftentimes settle for half-truths and white lies over absolute truth. We can have tempers instead of having patience. And oh, we want to be heard even though oftentimes we're not willing to listen. And keeping promises, oh, if it's convenient, but if it isn't, I may just offer an excuse. And if that happens to hurt you, hey, suck it up, that's life. And the list goes on. You want a little more complete list? Read Romans, the first chapter. So as long as sin is on the loose, it's going to ruin lives and it's going to ruin relationships and we're going to struggle. And sometimes in the midst of those struggles, you know what we do? We throw up our hands and then we shake our fist at the sky and we say things like, if God is such a good God, why doesn't he fix it? If God is such a good God, why is there so much evil in the world? And you know what God says? God says, I do want to fix it. Let me help you write your story. And we'll fix it together. One life at a time. And in the Bible, there's a word for that. You know what that word is? It's called a covenant. And God wants us to be in a covenant relationship with him. And he'll help us write the story. So the first obstacle that gets in our way is sin. You know what the second obstacle is? It's death. Life can be hard. Life can be good. But one thing is certain. Death's coming. 
And the thing that scares us about that is very simply this, and oftentimes we don't like to stop and think about it, but we know it's there. Death can come at any moment. Death does not discriminate. It doesn't matter whether you're young or whether you're old, whether you're male or female, whatever it is. When death comes, death comes. And it doesn't discriminate. And whenever it does come, no matter when it comes, we always say it came too soon. Two people I've known closely in my life, as far as longevity is concerned, my uncle and my mother. My uncle lived to be 98. And then I preached his funeral. My mother lived to be 95. And then I preached her funeral. Amazing thing is, in talking with both of them towards the end of their lives, they both told me exactly the same thing. You know what they told me? They said, it went by so fast. 98 years, it went by so fast. (laughs) 95 years, it went by so fast. Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 11 says, He has set eternity in our hearts. We're not satisfied with 60 or 70 or 80 or 90 or 100. God has set eternity in our hearts. We want more. And James tells us in the fourth chapter that life is like a vapor that appears for a little while and it vanishes away. That's what they were saying. It went by so fast. So we can't escape it. Sin, (laughs) death, stand in our way. That's the basic human story. So let me give you another illustration. At some time in your life, if you raise kids, and so now we have young families and they know this is coming... Sooner or later, you're going to sit in one of those sort of child-themed restaurants. I'll give you an example. Chuck E. Cheese. You ever been there? (laughs) Parents go to Chuck E. Cheese. Grandparents, you come back to Chuck E. Cheese. (laughs) And so there was this family that was sitting in this child-themed restaurant. They had TVs up all around. And close to the booth where they were sitting, there was a TV right up there on the wall. The sound wasn't playing, but these cartoons kept running over and over. And it was the Roadrunner. You ever seen those? (laughs) And they had a little four-year-old boy. And he's sitting there. He's fascinated by this. And he's watching this. They can't hear the sound, but he's watching. And and pretty soon, Wiley Coyote, he builds this slingshot. (laughs) And then he gets in it, straps himself in, then releases it and... He hits the canyon wall. (laughs) Well, that didn't work. So he goes and gets these rocket-powered roller skates, (laughs) and it shoots him right over the cliff. And then he goes and gets it a cannon, climbs down in it, lights the fuse, and it blows up. And the little boy's sitting there watching this and just spouts it out, not to anybody in particular. He says, No matter how hard he tries, he's never going to catch that chicken. (laughs) That's us. We chase the good life. We chase the long life. But sin gets in the way. And death's coming no matter what. And whenever we mess up, we promise we're never going to do it again. 
but we do. Nations seek peace treaties, but then they break them. And we can't ever seem to fix it. We can't beat sin. And we can't beat death. So what we need is we need a better story. I'm just going to leave that screen up there because I forgot to advance it to the first one. The first screen just says the human story. (laughs) Now you know what the second screen is going to say, right? (laughs) The Jesus story. So Luke 19 and verse 10, the Jesus story. Luke 19 and verse 10, Jesus says, The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. The Son of Man. You know why it says that? It's because He identifies with us. He took on flesh. The Son of Man. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. So think about that story once again. In any good story, you've got to have a character. You've got to have a desire. You've got to have an obstacle to overcome if you're going to achieve that goal. So in John 10 and verse 10, Jesus says, I came that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. That's the goal. So let me tell you the Jesus story. It's kind of the classic rags to riches story. A child is conceived and a child is born to a poor couple. And he spends his first night in a barn. Samuel or Finnegan probably didn't spend the first night in a barn. And then he grows up in sort of an obscure village where he's taught a blue-collar job. And he follows the family religion until he's 30, where traditionally they would be able to then go out and seek their own way. And so at 30, that's what he does, and he starts preaching. And he preaches some really intriguing messages, earthly messages, but they have these spiritual truths that people seem to be drawn to, that are fascinated by. And one of the other things he does is he tells people to repent, and he's promising that the kingdom of God is at hand, that it's coming, and in this kingdom, there's going to be righteousness. There's going to be justice. There's going to be a healing of the nations, as foretold by the prophets in the Old Testament. And one of the other things he does, he talks about God talks about the father and he talks about him in such a way as though he really knows him and his words they're powerful but what's even more powerful is the way he backs them up he does miracles he makes the lame to walk he makes the blind to see the deaf to hear and to speak The hungry are fed. Demons are cast out. He walks on water. 
And there's a small band of men that stays close to him. And there's some faithful women that seem to always be showing up wherever he is. And the common people, they love it. But the authorities, they're threatened by it. They want to get rid of it. And then in the third year, the story kind of takes a turn. He will arrive in Jerusalem just before the holy days. And he'll ride into town on a donkey. And the people will be shouting hosannas. And they will praising him as though their king has finally come. But much to their surprise, he doesn't lead a revolt to throw off the Romans, to throw them out, to kick the Romans out of the country. Instead, he's talking about being arrested. And he's talking about suffering. He's talking about dying. But he also says that he will rise again on the third day. And they just don't quite understand what he's saying. And so at the beginning of the week, they're shouting his praises. And by the end of the week, he's arrested. And his friends, those that are closest to him, they scatter. And then he's charged by lying religious leaders. And then he's sentenced, not convicted, sentenced by a political leader. He's publicly beaten. And then he's hung on a cross to die. That right there Sounds kind of like the typical human story, doesn't it? It always ends in death. It's rags to riches, not material riches, but he gained popularity, he gained followers. So it was rags to riches and back to rags. And his followers are disappointed. And they're disillusioned. And they're scared. Really disillusioned because you know what? (laughs) They had left their former life. They had left their former story. When they met him. And they thought life's going to be different. The story's going to turn out different. But now he's dead. But then there's that third day. And those faithful women, they're the first ones to show up at the tomb on that third day. And when they get there, he's not there. And there's some angels that tell them, he's risen. And he's gone before you. You go tell the others he's gone before you and he'll see you in Galilee. So what they come to realize? The Jesus story is not over. It's rags to riches to rags back to riches. And 50 days later, they're in Jerusalem. And they're telling that story. 
That's the book of Acts. That's where we are. And that life touched their lives. And that story touched their story. And their life and their story was never the same. And Jesus said, I want you to go tell this story. I want you to take this message to the world. Because it changed their lives, changed their story. And he knows it'll change other lives, it'll change other stories. And so, 2,000 years later, we're still telling that story. Because it changes lives. It changes the story. So now third one. His stamp on our story. Keep in mind, there has to be a character. There has to be a desire. There has to be an obstacle. And there has to be a goal. So the character was Jesus. And what did Jesus want? Well, we could say Jesus wanted a lot of things, right? But you know one of the things that Jesus wanted? Is he wanted us to know the original author. Because there's been a lot of things said down through the ages about the original author. Satan lied about him from the very beginning. And down through the ages... Some people have tried to paint pictures of him like he's Santa Claus. You just ask, he gives. <laughs> Some try, people have tried to paint a picture of him as like he's that overbearing sort of police officer or cop that's constantly watching you and just waiting for you to mess up so that he can throw you in jail. John 1. In the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. John 1 and verse 4. In Him was the life, and that life was the light of the world. You know what you could see in Jesus? You could see the author. You know what else you could see in him? Life the way God intended for it to be. So we look at Jesus. And what do we know about the original author? He gave up the glories of heaven. And he came into this world. And he lived as a human so that he would face the very same challenges that we face. He faced hunger. He faced thirst. He faced temptation. He faced love. (laughs) He faced hatred. And he went to the cross. The author of life went to the cross. He wanted us to know the original author. You know what else he wanted? He wanted to inaugurate his kingdom. 
He wanted to be the king that the world so desperately needs so that he might restore order and he might help heal broken lives and a broken world and help us to write our story. John 10 and verse 10. He came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. Luke 19 and verse 10. He came to seek and to save that which is lost. A better life now and eternal life. That was his desire. So what got in the way? You're going to be amazed. The same thing got in his way that gets in our way. You know what got in his way? Sin and death was standing in the way of him achieving his goal. And he was going to have to face both of them. So first of all, sin. He had to take on a world that had abandoned the author of life. And he had to show us how life was supposed to be lived. And in John 14 and verse 6, he says, In him was the life, and that life was the light of the world. And so he took on ignorance, and he took on arrogance. He took on foolishness. And he took on selfishness. He took on faithlessness in his darkest moment. Those who were closest to him abandoned him. He took on envy. He took on jealousy. He took on cruelty. And ultimately, he took on the cross. And when evil was nailing him to the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So in the beginning, a good God created. And then sin entered in. And you know what that good God did? He said, I'll take on flesh. And I'll show them how they're supposed to live. And I'll take on sin. And I'll confront evil. Good entered this world and took on evil. Face to face. And you know what happened? Good won. Good won. Evil threw everything it had at him. And he never succumbed to it. Good one. So what was left? Death. The last enemy was death. And previously, death was undefeated. Death wrote the end of every human story. And I'm confident Satan and the demons thought when they finally had him nailed to that cross, we're going to win. 
Death's coming. You know what happened? He died on that cross. They took him down and laid him in a tomb. And three days later, he came out of that tomb. 1 Corinthians 15.55 O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who had power over death could not hold him because he never sinned. And so death was defeated. He conquered both. Conquered sin. And then he conquered death. So Jesus' desire, he wanted to come to this world and confront evil. And he wanted to overcome sin. And he wanted to defeat death. Why? What was the goal? So he could put his stamp on your life. There's only... There's only one thing that stands in the way of him doing that. You know what it is? It's your choice. It's your choice. You have to choose whether or not his life, that story, will put a stamp on your life. Whether or not you'll turn back and say, I've been writing by myself long enough. I need your help to write the rest of my story. And like I told you earlier, you'll like the way it turns out. I'm going to conclude with this. A well-known historian pointed out that what we read in the book of Acts, he refers to as the rise of the Jesus movement. He goes on to say, and I'll just kind of paraphrase the way he put it. He said the Jesus movement was truly unique. The Jesus movement was a radical departure from historical scriptural Judaism. But at the same time, it was entirely consistent with historical scriptural Judaism. It's just that the Jews of the first century, of those of Israel, they just couldn't imagine the coming of such a belief system. They couldn't imagine a suffering Messiah. A Messiah who that would come and then die. But then once again, he would rise from the dead. But yet at the same time, this belief system among Jesus' followers clearly emerges from the stories and the scriptures that God's people had been telling for thousands of years. The life, the story of Jesus the Messiah, it came right off of their pages. The pages that told of Him and of His coming and of His suffering. And that story gave birth to a spiritual movement that we refer to as Christianity. (laughs) Because the disciples were first called Christians 
Acts 11 and verse 26 at Antioch. It was done with a message. A message that changed lives and changed people's stories. And it has shaped human history like no other story ever has. And he did it by putting his stamp on humanity one life at a time. And so he invites us one life at a time. Come join the movement. Jesus said, go preach the gospel. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. Go tell them this story. And it'll change their life. It'll change their story. I want to extend the invitation this morning to any and all that are here. If you've never rendered obedience unto the gospel of Jesus Christ, we would encourage you to do that this very day. If you're a child of God and you've stopped living as you should and you need to come back and make your life right, if we can help you in any way, you let us know. While together we stand and while we sing.